Hello, and welcome to One in Doubt Pixie. I'm one of your hosts, Sophie Lee. And I'm Lindsay Jones. On this podcast, we start every episode with a multiple choice question that we then spend the episode trying to answer. And at the end, we deliver the verdict in our terms. But of course, we want to try and start a discussion. Um, So Lindsay, what is the question this week? The question this week is, what's the best improbable Asian media trope? with the subheader and why are they so appealing yeah so part of the reason that we are going with this question today um is because you know as we've mentioned Lindsay and i both love uh anime and k-dramas and k-media in general east asian media Mm -hmm. um and we also love storytelling and we love tropes and 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 uh what's the word um archetypes yeah. So we were like, you know, there's a lot of similarities that we see in our extensive c- consumption of this uh, media from kind of the East Asian world. Right. Uh, and so we thought we'd kind of dive into that because, you know, we love stories. <laughs> we love story. Yeah. And also, you know, uh, since coming off of last episode, which was kind of a more educational, heavy hitting episode, and uh, as of the recording of this, we are still in the thick of the biggest pandemic the world has ever seen yeah and we're both stuck at home and we're just you know what are you gonna do at home if not watch k-dramas because <laughs> yeah i mean so for everybody playing along at home because we do record these in advance right <laughs> yeah the pandemic has just kind of really took off in the u.s so yeah this is that's the where end we're of March. at so Lindsay's stuck at home i'm stuck at home I just got a late night email from my boss about working online yesterday. Yeah, so it's like this is like the ideal time to do K dramas if if because what else are you gonna do? Yeah, you know? and you guys better believe we're gonna be talking about anime too. So get a subscription yes. to Crunchyroll Funimation. Yeah, exactly. You know. This is yeah. All right. Um, I think without further ado, uh, I think let's dive into the answer choices, shall we? Yeah. Let's see. Answer choice A, modern person falls into the past. Right. Answer choice B, mythical or supernatural or historical being falls into modern times. Right. Answer choice C, cross-dressing. Yep. And answer choice D, poor person in a rich school. Yes. So these are our choices. I feel like all of you, like, I feel like that there's at least one example of media that comes to mind. Like, there's iconic examples of each one of these tropes yeah you know that you can probably think of off the top of your head that's that's how far they penetrated into eastern and western kind of media consumption yeah so there's more than just these tropes in you know asian media media generally these are just some of the ones that we thought we'd have the most fun discussing and it's our show so you know yeah We hope that, you know, if you can think of some more really fun ones, you'll hit us with them on Twitter and yeah, we'll just keep the conversation going. So uh, on that note, shall we just jump into the very first one? Let's do it. So option A is modern person falls into the past. Okay. Give us a little, a little anatomy of this trope, please, Sophie. Uh, Okay. It's basically exactly what it sounds like on the tin, which is that normally you have a modern person minding their own business through some drama or anime magic they go into the past and 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 find some hunk of a man with like 
you know, who's not wishy-washy Ooh. like a modern man, but like... Right, and well, he knows and what And also normally is. the protagonist of this is female, but th- that's not always the case. But yeah. normally it's a female person, modern person, falls into the past, falls in love with a historical per- man, you know, normally a, some sort of swashbuckling hero type. And, who knows what um, chivalry is. Yeah, exactly. Knows how to treat a lady and uh, kind of has to navigate from there. And so normally there's some sort of time travel mechanic, uh... Or it could all be a dream. It just kind of depends on the drama or the the story. Uh, sometimes there's back and forth time travel. And sometimes it's just, you fell into the past. You're stuck here now. Bye. Yeah, congrats. So some examples of this um, are Dr. Jin, which is basically a Korean, it's a K-drama, a Korean surgeon, f- falls into, I want to say, Joseon era Korea. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of goes from there. Love it. So that's Dr. Jin. Yes. Um, Faith, also known as The Good Doctor, is a similar drama where a, uh, this actually includes bi-directional time travel, wherein a hero played by the inimitable Lee Min Ho, yes. um, <laughs> a heroic swashbuckling warrior, goes into the future, snatches a Korean pl- modern plastic surgeon, brings her into the past, and where she, again, is doing her surgeon thing. Yeah. Uh, Scarlet Heart. Rio is a more recent, also a K-drama, um, starring IU, who's, you know, she's a really big Korean pop star. Mm-hmm. Um, she uh, basically falls into the past, uh, into Goryeo-era Korea. Yeah, and, and this is an interesting form of it, because mm-hmm. she doesn't fall with her own... She doesn't fall into the past so much as she wakes up in someone else's body in the past and has to assume That's their true. life. That's true. Yeah, so it's an interesting one. And then, of course, we have Inuyasha. Right. Allow me, Sophie. Oh, Allow me. Go for it. <laughs> I, I'm the one who submitted most of the um, anime on the list. So Inuyasha is about a modern Japanese high school girl who falls into this ancient well on her family's property. And the well is a portal into the feudal era of Japan. Yeah. Where she um runs around and fights demons. Inuyasha! And screams Inuyasha. <laughs> Can't forget that part of her character. You're supposed to answer me with Kogome. <laughs> I will not. <laughs> You're just not going to dignify it. Okay. I'm not. Fair. <laughs> okay. So those are just some kind of some really uh, well-known examples. Um, um, These are the ones we're going to be talking about while we discuss kind of like what we like about the trope. Yeah, because exactly. these are ones so, that we've seen and we're familiar with enough to exactly. you know, discuss. So, Lindsay, what exactly do we like about this trope? I think so. It can it can come in a lot of um, different forms. Mm-hmm. So you can like different things about it depending on how it's showing up, right? Right. So, for example, in Scarlet Heart Yo, one of the fun things is that she's you know this modern woman and she's living in the past and everybody has these antiquated manners, right? And the costumes are all very impressive. Right. And I mean, so like one of the funnest like um, comedic relief sequences or whatever is she's talking to this prince and she, you know, gets a calligraphy pen and some paper and she draws like a smiley emoticon. Yeah. And they're all like, whoa, this is amazing. Your mind. (laughs) Right. You know, so there's just something fun about, you know, Mm -hmm. being in a position where like you are the more knowledgeable one just for knowing um, something that anybody would know, you know? 
right. There's 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 both a cool like heroic element where you're just like, oh man, like me, I'm just a Joe Schmo in the mm-hmm. modern day. But if I go into the past, I'm like a superhero because I know all of this stuff. Right. But also there's a comedic element too, where, you know, it's kind of a fish out of water story and all right. of those kind of kind of the clash of modern versus ancient or modern versus historical. Totally. Because I mean, that's that's a big issue too, right? Is there's a lot of accidental um, romances that you can stumble into as a yeah. modern woman in the past. Because what, yeah. you know, modern ideas of being polite and the borders between politeness and romance are different than they were in the past. Right. Miscommunication. Oh, yeah. Uh, happens a lot. Um, but I think I think you've hit the right track here, which is to say, like, feeling like a superhero because you know more than people did in the past. Because I think that's the main you know, crux of Dr. Jin and Faith, right? Yeah, well, because they're, both of these dramas, the modern protagonist is a medical professional, you know, Mm -hmm. so they they go back in the past and they're just like, oh my God, like, (laughs) wash your hands. Wash your hands. That applies now too. (laughs) Um, That applies two months ago and probably is still applying when you guys are listening to this episode. Exactly. I mean, they're not, they're already like, superheroes in the modern day kind of right you know you have to be like really smart and you have to have gotten through medical school and built a career and everything like that Mm -hmm. but um it's always really funny to see somebody who's like super powered in some ways and also normal in other ways or like awkward in other ways because again there are these people who are really smart and they have a lot of knowledge and they're able to like um make a big impression um in faith the doctor in there she's so she's like a modern person and she's she's very strange nobody really understands her and they're just like oh she's the doctor from heaven and they kind of <laughs> treat her that way and it's really funny yeah they're like, um, she's obviously not like us yeah exactly so again there's that fish out of water element but it's also really i feel like i found like it's really endearing kind of in the way that um in the western world we have superhero stories and stuff like that it's really endearing to see somebody who is like capable of these really impressive feats but they struggle with like a toaster yeah (laughs) well i guess that applies more to the option b that we're gonna get to but it's like if you pluck a surgeon from the modern day and you throw them into the past then it's just like you know they're gonna be like how does this work what how do i do these clothes like you know yeah and i think there's an interest when you have some expertise that they're bringing from the future, then you get to, you know, see how they have to adapt in the past. Right. You know, because a plastic surgeon in modern Korea is used to having certain technology, certain implements, like certain building codes. Right. Yeah. And then you pluck her into the past and it's like, even though she has all of the theoretical know-how, the interest is, you know, in seeing her really, um, it could almost be seen as a way of challenging someone who's competent Right, who has this certain skill set? Skill set, challenging yeah, them to exactly. like really deliver it in adverse circumstances. Exactly, and even just like even if it's somebody who's not necessarily an expert, like the protagonist I use character in mm-hmm. Scarlet Heart Rio is, um, I think she's like a makeup girl. She's like a makeup seller, mm-hmm. um, and I think she just that, works as a counter girl, like at a department store. I think you're right. Yeah, so it's been a while. But, um, but, you know, so she's thrown into the past and that kind of, and it adversely, it brings out different aspects of her character where she's a normal person in the modern day, but it mm-hmm. kind of brings out, you know, the heroic elements of her character and it pushes her to become like this person who is extraordinary. Um, mm-hmm. So it works in that way too, where taking somebody and putting them through a crucible 
per se. And right. it yields both comedic elements because, you know, like emojis, like she knows about emojis and everybody else is just like, whoa, this is amazing. <laughs> um, and I was going to bring up, um, I think your point about a regular person in the modern world, you know, can become extraordinary through the crucible of this circumstance, because that's yes. exactly what happens in Inuyasha. This is just a high school student and she really doesn't right. have any special skills and right. so, you know, when she goes through the well, she discovers that she has these sort of spiritual powers. Right. But, you know, they're only they're only um, present in that past, in the feudal era. So right. I think Inuyasha is an example of this trope where the tension isn't necessarily like being apart from your, your modern world or being like forcibly separated from it because she can go uh -huh. back and forth at will. Right. I think the the fact that she's a modern person is mostly used for comedic effect. Yeah. Which is fun because it's the entire premise, but it's really kind of secondary yeah. to the plot. Yeah. I think there's also elements of um, kind of how we talked about the Mary Sue in one of our previous minisodes. Mm -hmm. I think there's elements of that too where it's wish fulfillment where it's like, man, I wish, you know, both in terms of just I wish that I could go back to the past because this is an era that's really cool. That's yeah. really cool to me. And I wish I could wear all of these, like, really cool clothes and right. all of that and, like, meet all of these really cool historical figures. So there's an element of that where, mm -hmm. you, again, Mary Sue or the normal premise of a Mary Sue, which is that you take a normal character and you drop her into somebody else's world and she's, like, awesome. Um, there's elements of wish fulfillment and there's also also in terms of the romance because, again, normally the the, the love interest – is is you know somebody who's really living up to sort of the the ideals of the days of old so like, right. if it's a male love interest then he's like this swashbuckling warrior or something like that. he's like really strong and he like knows how to fight with a sword which everybody knows that like is like catnip for right <laughs> and he'll do a <laughs> lot of real he'll do, do a lot of really masculine stuff because you know sexism was a thing in the past which is not fun in real life but it's like ooh, what a hero yeah exactly you get to ride horses and like use weapons and like shoot bows and arrows and stuff like that so there's i think there's an element of wish fulfillment as well where you're just like this is how i would be if i was dropped into the past which is both awesome and clueless right <laughs> and then i'd get a date so yeah so i feel like it's basically, it's like a viewer insert kind of deal a lot of the times. I mean, yeah, so there's there's really a lot to like about this trope, but it mm -hmm. wouldn't be us if we weren't taking a fair and balanced approach, which I've just decided now halfway through season two is our brand. <laughs> so Sophie, what can you tell us about kind of the other side? What makes this trope improbable? Yeah, so this trope, I mean, obviously, so time travel is by nature improbable. It's magic. <laughs> it's all of that stuff. So, I mean, whenever you have anything that's kind of fantasy or magic, then you always run the, you know, you're asking the viewer slash reader, if we're talking about manga, um, it, it, you ask them to suspend their disbelief. Right? Yeah. And so sometimes, sometimes these dramas, they don't always succeed in getting the reader to fully suspend their disbelief. Sometimes they pull the reader out of the story. That's a risk, the very real risk that you're running when you tell this kind of story, like with any magic or fantasy. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of the things here where it's just like, you know, it's a lot of the same risks that you run with any sort of wish fulfillment fantasy as well, which is that, you know, like you want you want to balance the wish fulfillment element with the element of making it compelling and making it interesting. Right. Um, and it can be really tricky to bring a person, a modern person into the past and limit kind of their ability to be like OP because like if you pull a surgeon 
from the modern day into the past, then it's just like, you know, it can be a little bit improbable to believe that they also have perfect knowledge of history. <laughs> yeah. That it would equip them or knowledge of everything, like all the survival skills that would equip them to um, like be survive. effective, right? Yeah, exactly. And and so it's always, you, that's something that you kind of have to balance. And some dramas and animes do it really well, and some of them don't do it very well, where, like, people have improbable knowledge of history. Yeah. Um, and some, more often, this is, like, in Faith and in Scarlet Heart Rio, then this is kind of more played for comedic effect, where they have, like, sprinklings of bits of history, but they don't, like, know everything, or, like, they have, like, erroneous knowledge of history. Right. Like, she, in Scarlet Heart, then, like, she, she, like, when she runs into the king and she, like, acts this way that's very weird to him, but it's what she thinks that he is expecting because she's watched, like, Because she dramas. watches a lot of, like, historical shows. Right, exactly. Um, another element w- that uh, I think is uh, endemic to sort of time travel stories is the element of, like, foresight and changing history and stuff like that because you're going back into this world of history um, and you're like, well... You know, how do you, because a lot of times that brings in ethical dilemmas and stuff like that. Like your hunk of a man is actually, you know, that he's doomed to die in like two years. And like, what are you right, doing right. about it, you know? Well, again, so kind of, but oh, that that's tied mm-hmm. into historical knowledge because is it probable that, you know, the death of like every person in history? This works yeah, best exactly. when they're a notable so historical figure, right? Right. There's an entire um, subplot in Inuyasha because, you mm-hmm. know, um, in Japan, there's family records. So you can look up the names of ancestors, right? And she she has many love interests throughout her uh, tenure in time traveling. But she meets this ancestor of her classmate, you know, in the modern time. And Mm -hmm. her classmate in the modern time says, hey, come on over. Let me show you my family's ancestor tablet. And there on the tablet, it says her name and the ancestor that she met in the past. So she has to grapple with. Oh my god, do I have to marry this guy so that my classmate will, like, exist? Yeah, that was another thing that I was going to say, which is kind of like the back to the future issue of, like, being your own ancestor or, like, you know, meeting your relatives and you're just like, what do I do with the situation? And sometimes that can be done really well and sometimes you're just like, I don't like the way that this is going because... (laughs) There is enough incest undertones in East Asian media as it is. Yeah, we don't need this on top of yeah. anything. So yeah, so that's kind of like a, a brief kind of run through of like the appeal of this trope and also some of the ways that it can be done badly. Right. <laughs> All so right. That being said, let's move on to its sister trope, our option yes. B. If option A was a normal person falling into extraordinary circumstances, option B yes. is a historical supernatural mythical being that falls into modern times yeah so some examples some media that are examples of this trope that we'll be discussing uh include goblin the great and lonely god dokebi which is a k-drama about a a very powerful supernatural being who's lived hundreds of years who's in the modern day along with Mm -hmm. other supernatural characters that kind of come in Mm-hmm. My Lover Who Came From a Star, a classic K-drama about an mm-hmm. alien who comes to Earth and uh, tries to f- wife up, basically. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's a little deeper, but that's more or less what it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Notagami, which is a manga and anime about a god who is um, summoned into being in the modern day and needs to, you know, 
collect faith points, essentially. We'll see when mm-hmm. we get into it. And then Bacano, yeah. which is an interesting example because modern times in Bacano is approximately the 1920s. But there yeah, are 1930s. some eldritch creatures who appear in the story as main right. characters. So with all of, with all those examples being listed, what can you tell me about the kind of anatomy of this trope, Sophie? So um, this is another example of a fish out of water type of story. Right. Um, but instead of a normal person in extraordinary circumstances, we're talking about an extraordinary person normally from an originally extraordinary circumstance, although that's not always true. Right. Uh, put into uh, normal circumstances, right? So they're so they're dealing with um, they can be dealing with extraordinary conflicts. You know, maybe there there's a big bad that they're fighting or whatever. Mm-hmm. But also they're dealing with modern day stuff like cell phones or toasters, like we said earlier. Right. Um. So I think some of the main elements of appeal to this is that. Um, is uh, for again the fish out of water the sort of stranger in a strange land kind of thing and all of the angst and the comedic potential that can come out of that mm-hmm. um, and the other thing being that you know it kind of implies that there's like this like exciting scintillating secret dimension to normal life like normal life like under the surface there's like magic and stuff right and, like, cool people <laughs> and cool people your neighbor who lives next door who doesn't know how to like use a cell phone can vaporize you and that's cool <laughs> and exciting i guess <laughs> true another of so, yeah. another piece of media that i want to mention that has this trope is actually one of my favorite fan fictions which uh-huh. is a spirited away fan fiction about Ooh. after chihiro and haku get back together sometime in the future it's glossed over you know of course they do um uh-huh. haku chihiro cannot stay in the spirit world with haku so haku comes to the human world and he has to right. live as her house husband and really and find his place in the modern world. Yeah. And technology yeah. hates him. Right. So if you guys are interested in that, I suggest looking up Follower of Rivers. That's not what it's called at all. I need yeah. to... We'll link it. Yeah, we'll we will link it. I think you've touched on another another element that I think is uh contributes to the appeal of this trope. Mm-hmm. Um which is kind of the element of finding your way, finding your place in the world, which yeah. I think is something that a lot of normal people struggle with. Yeah. Um, and it also applies to the last trope as well, but m- even more so this one, um, because it is that, you know, that typical dilemma of you feel like you're a stranger in a strange land and the strange land just happens to be the modern world. Yeah, I think that the reason that that kind of shines through more brightly in this as opposed to option A is because... Mm-hmm. Like anybody would feel out of place if we were suddenly put into the past, but a lot of us already feel out of place in the modern world. So to see somebody else go through it, you know, is appealing. Yeah. So that's, that's, it's a lot of fun. Um, it can be funny. It, uh, a lot of times it is funny, even when it's a serious drama, it can be funny. <laughs> like, you know, Goblin is a pretty serious drama, but it's like, it's still, it's still very comedic to see them try and do do cell phones it's got a lot um, of gags yeah um <laughs> i feel like a lot of times especially when there's a romantic subplot it can be kind of there there are elements of like beauty and the beast which as we've established we're suckers for true right true which normally the love interest if, if they do have a love interest a lot of times it is a normal person and mm-hmm. so the normal person the quote-unquote beauty then you know they're grappling with this like strange not only power dynamic but like it's sort of this unlikely love Mm -hmm. scenario 
that yeah. I think, again, is a lot of... And which one of us wouldn't want a hunky, like, you know, all-powerful... Gong Yu. Like hist- yeah, Gong Yu, period. Yeah, which of us wouldn't We're like done. a Gong Yu? <laughs> yeah, which one of us wouldn't like to, you know... Again, a, the wishful element of I, a normal, you know, normal person, somebody like me somehow is attractive to somebody who is like all powerful like yeah that's so appealing like that again that's like catnip (laughs) and that is that is kind of what a lot of a lot of these examples do turn around right i mean Mm -hmm. especially goblin and my lover who came from a star is right these seemingly normal young women who are just living their lives and then these extraordinarily powerful supernatural beings who also are bumbling and adorable right it's everything you yes. want in a man and it's yes you. exactly <laughs> exactly and this this trope is interesting because i mean just like option a there's more than one way you can do it because you can get it depends on the kind of person who's in modern times right it could right. just be a historical figure for example well none of our examples have that but i'll just throw out captain america right I mean, Mm -hmm. so for example, Captain America, I mean, he is extraordinary, right? But one of the appeals of his character is that he's a guy from the 40s who's living in the 2010s. That's fun, right? Right. But you can also have something like supernatural being, like Notagami, the um, main character, has a near-death experience and becomes able to perceive this god who's not the god of anything. And as you mentioned earlier, she becomes aware of this hidden world. But I think the most interesting example we have on our list as far as different ways you can play with this trope is Mm -hmm. Bacchanal. Because like I said, the modern... kind of a marriage of both of them. Yeah, because the modern times in Bacchanal are not our modern times. They're 1920s. 30s. It's interesting. It's an an interesting take on it, right? Because you would Mm -hmm. think if the whole point of the story is to be a historical story, that's that. And then they hit Mm -hmm. you with, oh no, secretly we were also bringing even more historical people into this time, right? It just goes to show you can really um, stack these tropes in interesting ways, I think. Right. Like these these kinds of tropes are setting tropes, so they lend themselves well to being mixed with other tropes, I think. Yeah, that's true. But, okay, so let's flip this and talk about, like, what are some of the things that maybe can go wrong with this particular trope? I think there can be a certain, like infantilization almost where Mm -hmm. i mean so take goblin for example because i think they did it well right um the main character shin he yes he's very powerful and he's lived through history right right he's been aware of everything he didn't wake up one day right so you know you can have fun gags about him not knowing like how to use a smartphone because you know he's held off on like getting one but if Mm -hmm. you're not careful it can be like Durher, this man doesn't know how to do anything. He doesn't know what Google is. Where, yeah. you know, you want it at some point, you kind of double back on yourself as far as making an appealingly clumsy or clumsy character, right, yeah. and it just makes him seem foolish, right? Right. So, like, again, kind of with the uh, to go back to Captain America as an example, because I think a lot of people are familiar 
with the sort of sort of characterizations that Fanon has given him, yeah. which is they're just like, oh, Steve doesn't know how to figure out technology or he just, you know, the, you know, or, oh, Steve never swears or Steve is like, he's, he's not only reflecting like the- Steve is afraid the, of the gays. He's also reflecting the social norms and the values of um, that time period, you know, and they're just like, der her, like, that's funny. But, it, you know, there's- there's more that you can do with that trope. And yeah. like it's much more interesting to see Steve characterized the way that, you know, he is, especially in the Captain America movies, where he's just like he just kind of rolls with it. Yeah. And, I know, mean he's a really not to go on this lengthy tangent person. about Captain America, but that's what, you know, Winter Soldier was about, right? They lit like the opening scene, he's like, Oh man, polio vaccine, love it. I've been trying to listen to disco, right? And he, you know, they yeah. they really do the thought in like, okay, what would he be getting to know? What would he be thinking about this stuff right yeah um so yeah i think that that's one one kind of element that it's like it, you can do it wrong yes because we we talk these these tropes you know a lot of a lot of our examples are romance right and i feel right. like in that case you can kind of only use the opportunity that this setting gives you for like character work and angst and development and just kind of make it into a comedic uh-huh. subplot kind of thing instead of having that be part of their character which i think is a shame yeah 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 um so kind of just talking about romance and stuff like that um or or just uh ethics in general then again because like with every beauty and the beast story then there's always the danger of making it into like a uh, power dynamic right right? and it can be either way like it can be either that like the supernatural being is infantilized and you know that's not that's not great you know right or it's like if they fall into if they fall into the future or they wake up in the future or whatever and uh the first girl that they see they're just like oh my god and that's that's the love interest yeah Yeah, that's weird weird. um and on the flip side then you know then them being more powerful than this than their normal romantic interest can also be weird Mm -hmm. um and overall like to pull in another example like that kind of applies is is death note Mm -hmm. um where you have these like shinigami you have these gods like reapers who are just kind of walking around and like you know invisible to other people in the normal world yeah being chaotic yeah being chaotic and so death note is actually a really good example of like the ethics involved in that because you know because somebody who is able to access the power of these beings that nobody else knows exists and uh light who is the main character he you know as you will know if you watch death note light goes a little bit cray cray (laughs) on all that power um and so it's also it can be a really good opportunity to explore like what the mythical or super especially if it's a mythical or supernatural person like what they can uh bring to the modern era and like how their ethics translate yeah to the modern era and to modern situations but also that you know you can also end up with like a swashbuckling person hacking up an innocent like an innocent person or somebody who who looked at them wrong and like yeah. that's not great i think i think a lot of superhero movies fit this trope not not only in not usually in the way of historical being in modern times, but just, you know, supernatural or mythical being, right? Mm-hmm. And I think some of the most interesting stuff that movies or the media that have this trope at all can do is just, like you said, really grapple with the ethics of it, right? Like, what is... Mm-hmm. I mean, people people love to talk about 
Superman has this speech in the comics, and I'm not a comic head, so I, I don't know which one, where he has this whole prolonged speech about how living in the human world is like living in a world of tissue paper, and he has to yeah. think about it all the time or else he's going to destroy everything and hurt people, right? Right. So yeah. I think that's really... Yeah. It it would be better if more media that had this trope went that route and really like thought um thought about it in the text. Right, exactly. So it's kind of like uh Bacano mm-hmm. um has a really interesting uh example of this again because they're grappling with ethics and like who should get to be immortal. What are you gonna do with immortality when you get it? Yeah. You know, like that like so that's really cool. Goblin is also really interesting because he um he saves somebody from death uh, in the very beginning, and then they they spend the rest of the drama kind of um, dealing with the ramifications of that. Because also in the world of Goblin, there are reapers who are supposed to go and collect souls, and then they're just like, "Well, you kind of stole this one from us, so like now we're not <laughs> happy about that." Right. So, Goblin, great show. It go is. watch it. Gong Yu is great. I love him. <laughs> okay, I miss him. <laughs> Yeah, I miss him too. Do we feel like that kind of wraps it up for that trope? Yeah. Okay. So now uh, for a complete about face where those other tropes were obviously kind of sister tropes. Let's talk about something completely different. Option C, cross-dressing. Cross-dressing. (sighs) Cross-dressing. Okay. Love it. So, Lindsay, why don't you give us an anatomy of this trope? So, I mean, this trope, it's, it's pretty obvious, right? Someone mm-hmm. of one gender dresses as right. the opposite gender for, you know, various purposes. Plot reasons. For plot reasons. Right. And this can be played for laughs or this can be played really seriously. It just depends. Mm-hmm. And I think the yep. main thing, though, is that it does have to be an ongoing plot point, you know, to qualify as for for our discussion. Right. You know, it's not like the the one episode of whatever show. It has to be like... The premise of this show involves somebody having to dress as the other gender. And I think right. I think what we like about it is that we often see this um, only one way, which is a girl dressing as a boy. Right. And I think the fun of that is then uh, it's almost voyeuristic. Like you get to see the emotional lives of men and boys unguarded when they don't yes. have to perform for women to be like impressive right. for them. Right, yeah. And you get like to see a lot of really vulnerable in... um, sides of the male characters uh, yeah, because absolutely. of the access that um, acting as a man or a boy affords the main character. Right, yeah. Um, and I, I feel like that's especially true in like uh, historical mm-hmm. um, media. So uh, a couple of examples are Song King Kwan Scandal and Moonlight Drawn by Clouds. So basically in one, a girl is dressing as a guy in some people scandal a girl's dressing as a guy because women aren't allowed in to to university Mm -hmm. um and moonlight drawn by clouds is basically it's a girl she dresses as a eunuch uh i can't i i I haven't actually seen this one but i know that that's the premise she dresses as a eunuch at the court uh to gain access to the court and then it kind of goes from there Mm -hmm. you know and of course she like falls in love with the crown prince and stuff et cetera et cetera (laughs) et cetera et cetera I think, you know, that's the historical side, but you also do have modern stuff. You can do yes. coffee prints is a really um, good example of this in K-drama. It's the granddaddy of cross-dressing. It's, like, it's let's... so good. Ugh. It's about a girl who is from this poor family and she gets let go from her part-time, one of her part-time jobs. So she wants to get right. hired at this coffee shop, but the coffee shop is only hiring men. 
That's their concept. So she has to dress as a man to be a waiter at this coffee shop. And then Oran High School Host Club, granddaddy of the anime cross-dressing. Yes. Where this one is the funniest because there's not even a point, you know, because it it is a comedy, a rom-com. It's just a... A girl who's admitted to a private school, which, by the way, this um this this anime double counts for options C and D. Uh-huh. Anyway, right. it's this girl who goes to a rich private school, but she's kind of androgynous and she's mistaken for a man and gets conscripted to their after-school host club where the male students uh, entertain the female students and flirt with them. Yes. So I think it can happen. It can be historical or it can be modern but i think the historical ones tend toward the more serious and the modern ones tend toward the comedic agreed agreed because there's more stakes in historical sexism right in gender presentation mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. It, it that you know it makes sense yeah absolutely and i think the reason we see this i mean so we mm-hmm. were talking about as we were writing this we were thinking about when these tropes appear in western media and we had a couple examples for all of them but this one is the hardest one to think of examples in Western media. Right. And I, yeah. I have this theory. It's, I think it's because of masculinity in mm-hmm. different places, right? Where like, if you are pretending to be a man and people believe you in 2007 South Korea, as we are in Coffee Prince, then you really mm-hmm. are going to be afforded a lot of like fun, flirty stuff and people are going to be touching you and you know, you're going to be roughhousing with each other and you're going to see each other cry. And there's going to be a lot of that, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas I think in the U.S., I think you you get less mileage out of pretending, you know, even if people believe you, I think men are just less emotionally expressive. So there's less payoff for the audience. Yeah. But that's just my theory. Absolutely. So we've kind of, in talking about the examples, we've covered a lot of the stuff that's uh, appealing about this trope. But like, Lindsay, do you feel like there's anything that we haven't talked about that we really like? Um. I think another thing that's appealing about this trope is that um, the tension, right? It is it is a trope that by its nature means that you, the audience, know something that many of the characters don't, right? You're in on a very pivotal secret. Yes, dramatic irony. Yeah. So if it's a historical drama or a more serious drama, it's it's a really intense feeling because you're like, whoa, like the the penalty could be death right for impersonating right. somebody or acting outside of your station and even in the modern ones that are maybe more romantic or more funny there's still that tension of like oh man you know like if their love interest finds out that she's been lying to them then they're going to be angry and they're going to fight and it's going to cause this tension or it's going to cause right, yeah. discord so yeah and that's actually it's really well explored in say like coffee prince yeah does a fantastic explanation or or exploration of that. Yeah. I think Coffee Prince to this day is the only one where, um, is the only one of these, because normally they find out that she's a girl and then they, and then they, and then they're like, okay, now I can be openly. Yeah. They're almost relieved because there's, there's usually an attraction that exists and they have to resist because it's gay. And then once it's revealed, they're just relieved that they can act on the attraction. But I'm with you. Coffee Prince is Because, of course, you would be angry at someone who lied to you for months. Right. Well, it's it's that. Plus, it's the fact that it's like he struggles with himself and he struggles with himself and just like got him. And then he comes to the conclusion. He's like, you know, what? I don't care if you're a dude. I'm attracted to you. And and, you know, and then he acts on it and then he finds out she's a girl. Yeah. He had to go through all of this 
like all of this difficulty of coping with it and coming to terms with himself, the bisexual wonder. Yes. And then he's like, wait, you were a girl this entire time? It was for and nothing. Like, and then it, there's like, there's, well, there's like a whole, like, it's like a, t- like a whole arc that kind of deals with the fallout of all of that. Yeah. And so I'm just, it's like, it's, it's, you get to see kind of both sides of the coin in Coffee Prince. So yeah. Again, that's why Coffee Prince is the granddaddy of <laughs> cross-dressing Korean dramas, because it's amazing. If you haven't and seen also it, it's see Gong it. Yu. It's also Gong Yu. Yeah. Um, so, so going off of that, I think that's another thing that's appealing about the kind of cross-dressing is, and in the notes, it's in all caps because it's important is that gay shit mm-hmm. <laughs> that is so important like what do you, you think know, is so appealing about watching because i mean so in the typical example watching a male character grapple with this crisis of sexuality what do you i mean i also love it but why do you think it's so appealing well I mean, because it's hard, it can be really difficult to get, um, and even with this, it's an imperfect, it's an imperfect solution, but it it can be really hard to get gay content anywhere, like, you know, quality gay content anywhere, like, even in Western media, but in Eastern media, it can also be pretty difficult, but a lot of times (laughs) they get around this by, you know, with the cross-dressing kind of uh, trope yeah, is because there's there's this building attraction and flirtation and stuff like that between um, um two male Cody characters. Yeah. And that is can be a lot of fun to watch, especially because a lot of times the interactions are not, like, they're not solely angsty. Again, like in Coffee Prince, there's flirting and there's, like, it's a coffee shop. It's a literal coffee shop AU, <laughs> you know. So so you get to see them doing stuff or like in Sun King Kwan Scandal where you, you're getting to see them like study. They're like study buddies and, and stuff like that. There's it's not just preparing for archery. It, it, there, there can, yeah, there can be a crisis of sexuality, but a lot of times but it's a lot of times you get more content than that. And that's what we want is we want the kind of like like not elementary gay, but like advanced gay content. Okay? Right, right. <laughs> and I so I think I think there is an appeal in watching a character go through a crisis of sexuality and I don't know if it's like absolutely I I think it's just the tension and the angst like I like tension and angst yeah. so even absolutely. even in a society that you know has moved past homophobia which there isn't one but if we lived in such yeah. an ideal society I feel like it would still be a compelling story to be comfortable mm-hmm. in your sexuality and then have someone come along that really makes you question who you are yeah, and I absolutely. think when you add the fuel to the fire of entrenched homophobia in, you know, the way that, oh, like pretty much, you know, all of these societies have, even I think if it's going to be there, we might as well get quality angst out of it, you know? Yeah, we might as well get quality angst, but also like it's it's a great opportunity for cuteness, you know? Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. What I mean, like advanced gay is I'm just like, okay, the angst and that and that stuff is great and it can be really compelling but also i'm just like i'm here for your indirect kisses and you know accidental butt touches and <laughs> mm-hmm. all of that stuff it's just you know like give me all of the rom-com tropes but gay right like, that's or, what, but, that's um, what perceived i personally gay. want yes so okay <laughs> but off of that then also i mean it's also possible for that to go horribly wrong because of course then there there is still an underlying kind of undercurrent of homophobia or like no homo yeah i mean so that is the problem right which is the reason that there's right. tension at all is because it's not acceptable to be attracted to uh, someone of your same gender so that's an issue mhm unfortunately 
yeah, so with cross-dressing, there, there can be a lot of, um, there's a homophobia, there can be a lot of sexism or misogyny. Um, even internalized misogyny is something that a lot of protagonists, especially, you know, a lot of times the girl protagonists will deal with because clearly they had to have a reason to pass as a boy, to try and pass as a boy, as opposed to just being themselves. Yeah. Right? True. I think another, I think even beyond just homophobia about gay relationships, I feel like not enough, me- like too much media is also biphobic because to yes. me it's only logical, Agreed. right? I mean, so let's take our our one kind of American example, which is Disney's Mulan. Yes. So we have here bisexual icon Lee Shang because yes. he's attracted to a man and he's attracted to yes. a woman that's bisexual. And yet, yes. the problem, I think, is then when the reveal happens, they think, oh, well, I'm straight, not gay. And I'm like, no, hun, there's a word for that. You're bi. You're bi. And I just feel yes. like it doesn't. You know, it's yeah. like not even an option. So bi erasure yeah. is also rampant in this kind of trope. Yeah, exactly. So it's like you can do interesting things with gender, with the cross-dressing trope. Um, just like gender and gender performance and sexuality and that kind of stuff. You could do really cool and interesting things with it. But also, it's like you can also do it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and therein lies the rub. Very true. Okay. So on on that cheerful note, let us move on to our last option, option D, which is poor person in a rich school. Yes. This one is classic. Yes. So classic. So classic. Can you tell us about the anatomy of this trope, Sophie? Yeah. So I just realized all of our tropes are literally fish out of water stories. Every single one. Oh, well. Um. (laughs) So it goes. I think that says something about how, like, the, like it's it, uh, it's much more interesting to look at the story of a marginalized person, who, somebody who's marginalized in some way, mm-hmm. um, who's different from all the people around them. It's That is normally much more interesting than somebody who is just, like, in society and, like, you know, conventional in every way, right? That's what makes people interesting. Yeah, the of things course. That make them different. I think so, – I'm thinking, okay. like, what other, what other tropes could shape a story besides – Someone is in a setting they're not used to. It could be like a mystery, I suppose. Yeah. But anyway. But so, okay. Yeah. So poor person in a rich or chebol, in, if, if we're looking at specifically K-drama, a rich school. Um, it's exactly what it sounds like on the tin. So th- this is normally, it doesn't even have to be a school, but normally this is a school trope. Yeah. Really common in school drama. Like it could be, um, you know, like a poor person is maybe, um, it could be college. It could be like becomes a model and she comes from humble backgrounds right yeah like they they they, they're suddenly catapulted into a different world yeah basically um and in this case it's somebody who's from kind of a lower end of society and they uh end up uh, surrounded by people who are from a completely different realm of society Mm -hmm. um and kind of dealing with all of the fallout from that so again a lot of romances a lot of you know because like that's another thing that's going to make that makes love interests like really attractive is wealth (laughs) because who (laughs) wouldn't want to who wouldn't want to have a super like a super uh wealthy like significant other who would spoil you yeah Um, i feel like that pretty much covers it is that it's you know it's somebody who's kind of catapulted into a different world uh and and there's an element of you know rags to riches oh yeah i think immediately makes it appealing definitely yeah i also think that some of the appeal is that they make friends and they 
you know, find their lover or whatever in this environment full of full of rich people. And again, they are a kind of superhero, right? They get to teach these snotty rich people, you know, perseverance or how to deal with adversity. And there's something basic life skills. Yeah. Like so instant coffee. There's something really um affirming in seeing like mm-hmm. a normal person or a poor person is almost like earns a like is virtuous just because of having to live with those circumstances, right? Yeah. And yeah, yeah. I mean that's what this trope does. They're like literally just by virtue of putting up with the crap that was, you know, the circumstances you were born in life, you you have something to teach people. Yeah, like they they, you know, again, overcoming adversity like that that enhances their character somehow or it gives them the sort of the resilience and the skill that these people who have had everything handed to them don't necessarily have right um and i feel like yeah like that can be a really compelling thing to watch Mm -hmm. um and it also i think it also speaks to the idea of like um not necessarily social mobility but the idea of like if this poor person just had access to the right resources they could thrive yeah totally you know and i think that that's a really compelling uh idea Mm mm-hmm and and also really true in a lot of cases where you know if 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 you and I had accesses had access to like more resources then imagine the things that we could do yeah imagine the rich boyfriends or girlfriends we could get yeah or because you yeah, know the other basically. thing too is a lot of these stories feature mm-hmm. scholarships as in the yes. poor person is there on merit because they're talented. So right. in a way, it's also appealing to have affirmed like, yes, you do have to work harder because you're poor. Let's laugh at all of these rich people who don't know how to do anything and who are less competent than the poor person, you know? Yes. There's yes. there's something um, cathartic about that. Absolutely. Yeah, it just can be a lot of fun. Although, and again, I mostly see this in like girls. Normally the protagonist is a girl. I think mm-hmm. in all four of these examples that we have is which we didn't even go oh yeah sorry um, so boys over flowers iconic right Mm -hmm. that's another Emin ho drama um and it's basically the same almost like well similar plot to or in high school host club in that it's a girl she gets a scholarship to a rich prep school and then she has trouble like fitting in and also like these rich kids are don't know how to do anything and she's like working like multiple part-time jobs to make ends meet Mm -hmm. so that's Boys Over Flowers. That's also, we talked about Orin High School Host Club. That's also the premise of that, which is a uh, poor girl, rich school, rich classmates, proximity to the rich and powerful. And like everybody, like, you know, Tamaki Suo is on his feet, <laughs> on his knees in front of her and everything like that. The Heirs is a similar premise where <laughs> it's a poor girl. She, through a series of very contrived circumstances, um, she ends up at this rich school and, you know, is 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 trying to fit in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Sung King Kwan's Scandal, which we talked about in the last answer choice, is also this because she originally was somebody was uh, like somebody like a tutor and somebody who helped rich people cheat on their college. Yeah, exams. I mean, specifically, and, if I could, um, yeah, she wasn't ahead. a tutor, right? She was someone who was so talented at civil service you know which is what they were testing yeah but she got multiple people who were not qualified into the school because they had the money to pay her to sit the test for them and she gets right. found out and so um they don't want to lose that on such a talented young man so they invite her to attend the school at no cost yeah again it's that whole thing where it's like you know there's something about you like you're able to shine 
like even in tough circumstances and so let's bring you into an environment where you can like blossom to your full potential and like that is a really it's part of it is wish fulfillment you know um it's also nice to get a like a hot rich boyfriend out of it or girlfriend um that's also really great true um and a thing that i notice about these is that like in like in not all of them but in a lot of the dramas then it's like you know because once that one person gets in then normally they also bring along their kind of coterie of friends or family that they had before um who were poor like a lot of times they also um are able to kind of bring up those people as well and so i think that's also a compelling part of the narrative where you're just like you just need one foot in the door and like everybody benefits a rising tide lifts all boats kind of thing yeah i think yeah. i think it's an interesting idea because it could be it could be a critique of like the class system right because you have all these right. talented have-nots who have to have special exceptions made for them but i feel like um to to cross the streams here one of the failings of this trope is that there's not usually a lot of thought about other people who are talented who don't get afforded the same opportunities just because right. they didn't have these contrived circumstances. Right, exactly. Like, we know that um, the main character of Oren High School Host Club is there on scholarship, but, you know, and I know it's a comedy, but we don't really know. It doesn't seem like they give out a lot of scholarships to poor people, to poorer students. Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's almost like it's a missed opportunity because in the in the setup of the trope, it seems mm-hmm. obvious that there's critiques of class systems and hoarding of resources to the wealthy but it usually doesn't really bear out right the other thing being that i think like a a, a one of the pitfalls is what this trope ends up doing dramas that exemplify this trope they end up saying like rich people have feelings too (laughs) yeah and it's like yeah i you're not wrong but also it's like that's like the least interesting thing that you could do with this trope you know yeah i mean um, i think i think at their best it says rich people don't have feelings but you know you can awaken empathy inside the dead cold dead heart of this rich person which you know yeah it's a fun message for romance but maybe not the best societal message yeah and it's it's um you know a lot of times this 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 the action and the character development happens on an individual level as opposed to a systemic level like you're still not critiquing you're just like I just want this one person to have access to the wealth that yeah. is being hoarded at the top of society. Not necessarily that I want all of these resources distributed more equitably in society at large. You know, it's like you have to, there's still the implication that you have to be deserving somehow of the access that you have to wealth. And that's not always the greatest message yeah. <laughs> to send. And then even yeah. even on a less societal level, but it the power dynamic can get weird. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, you know, if if it's like if the love interest's father runs the school and the love interest gets angry at the main character, they can threaten her with expulsion. You know, there's yeah. there's stuff like, like Boys that. Over Flowers is a really good example mm-hmm. where it's like, I mean, like he, he, you know, he he the love interest, the the first lead, you know, the, the he's interested in the girl protagonist, but he at first he kind of thinks of her as like a doll that he can like make over and you know like be like he 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 won the heart of this girl and she's just like no gross like that's she's not interested at all Mm -hmm. in that um and so it's always it's very interesting uh and also it can be very icky because because this this the wealthy person the wealthy love interest can have so much more power and influence than their significant other and it's like that's uh 
that is something that does not always get addressed. Yeah. I feel like this trope is kind of the the general version of like a sugar baby kind of story, AU dynamic, Mm -hmm. which, you know, is not usually seen in published fiction, but shows up sometimes in fan fiction. And I think all of the same issues are there, right? Where it's just like someone who has so much more wealth just has can have too much power. And especially when the plot is all about the virtuous poor person redeeming the cold rich person, that's going to come up, you know, as a tactic of manipulation that they have to grow out of. So it's risky. So, yeah. So, yeah. So on that uplifting note, (laughs) (laughs) I think we've reached the end of our list of options. So uh, it is time for the verdict. Mm -hmm. Lindsay, what do you, in your opinion, uh, what is the best East Asian improbable media trope? (laughs) We're so good at writing short questions, I think. I yeah. I think the best trope that we've discussed is option B, a mythical supernatural historical being in modern times. Mm-hmm. Um, for the reasons we talked about. So these are all fish out of water tropes. But I think this is the one that offers like not only a chance for world building and, you know, doing a lot of fun magic systems, you know, it gives you that option. But then it also gives uh-huh. you good tension of like, usually it's a secret that they're from the past. They have to kind of keep it concealed. That's a good one. It gives you Beauty and the Beast yeah. opportunities because we have mm-hmm. a normal person who's trying to show them how to be a normal person, which I love. Mm-hmm. And yes. ultimately, I think it just works the best as a metaphor for the kind of coming of age or growing pains, identity yeah, crises absolutely. that we have, you know, as, as people who consume yeah. the media. So I'm going Mm -hmm. with option B. What do you think is the best improbable Asian media trope? (laughs) Um, I definitely, I see your point. Mm -hmm. Um, And part of my heart agrees with you. Okay. But I'm going to go with option A, which is modern person falls into the past. Well, color me surprised Um, that you want the one that has more historical world building. Like, exactly. (laughs) I'm just like, that is like, it pushes all my buttons, right? Yeah. Um. I think that this is more my favorite trope as opposed to like the best. Because yeah. I think you've covered why option B it does have a, the most potential. I think um, at least on its own. Well, I was answering what my favorite one was too, but I'm English major trained. Yeah, but the modern person falls into the past. Specifically, I think that the elements of wish fulfillment and then also like the historicity of that like really appeals to me. Yeah. Um, so the wish fulfillment again. I love I love that you know like a normal person thrown into adverse circumstances not only is able to survive but thrive is a really powerful thing, mm-hmm. and also uh, because they have the best costumes. They do like, have really good costumes. Let's be completely honest. <laughs> you are correct. They have the best costumes, and you know it's all very pretty to look at. And you're looking at you know like um, obviously I personally wouldn't would prefer not to fall into the past. I like the internet very very much, uh-huh. but. Um, there is definitely some appeal to, like, you know, like... A simpler time? To, you know, yeah, a little bit, just a tad, you know? There's definitely some appeal to, you know, like, uh, 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 like like I've said, like, a bazillion times in this episode, a swashbuckling warrior who (laughs) somehow finds you extraordinary. That's hot. Yeah, that's that's a good one. (laughs) So, that is, uh, so that's my verdict. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Okay. Let's not uh, stare at Sophie's exposed id for too long and um, 
let's quickly pivot and talk about how you can contribute to this discussion, which is, you know, go hit us up on Twitter at Pixie Podcast. Mm -hmm. And um, there we'll have a poll that you can answer and tell us what your favorite improbable drama trope is. Um, And if you want to see all the links to the dramas that we talked about and the fan fiction that Lindsay was talking about and all of that bonus content, you can go to our Patreon, which is Pixie Podcast. The show notes are available for free, but also you should definitely subscribe because we have a lot more bonus content that you can access if you do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This episode was written by us, Lindsay Jones and Sophie Lee. Our audio production is by Elisha Bonnet, and our music is by David Hillowitz. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Bye.